Good morning. I am uh, more of a writer than a speaker, and um, I'm a teacher, and I, um, in the 26 years that I've been teaching, I've studied the master teacher, and I found it interesting that he spent so much time talking to people in parables. In the, back of, in the back of my little Bible here, it lists 40 parables that Jesus told during his ministry. And parables are an interesting way of thinking. If you came to be entertained today, then all you have to do is sit back and listen to a little story and you'll be entertained. Um, however, if you're looking for deeper meaning, then parables make us think at a higher level than yes or no questions. And uh, as you read a parable, you find yourself in different places. If, take, for example, the parable of the sower. Sometimes when you read that parable, you are the sower. And sometimes when you read that parable, you are the seed. You are the message that's going out. And sometimes you are one of those plants and maybe even sometimes you're one of the weeds or the birds or the rocks inhibiting others. The point is, is that parables give us different messages at different times and sometimes the message that we have, get is uh, not the, the same one that the person sitting beside us is getting. And uh, they're, they're also a terrific memory aid um, you go home after church and your children probably remember the story um, and may have questions about it. So I'm going to tell you a parable today here in a minute. Um, as I came in and listened to the last few minutes of Janie's uh, Sabbath school lesson and then I listened to Marco and then I looked at this quote from Ellen White on the back of your uh, bulletin. You guys have already preached this sermon. The question is, uh, to know God is to love him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. And um, that's what this is about. Jesus did some weird things when he was doing, having his ministry. He told a uh, Samaritan lady that he couldn't help her because you don't give the children's food to the dogs. Um, and I have a few other examples, but sometimes Jesus offended people. And uh, why did he do this? Ever since Lucifer became proud and started blaming God for his malcontent, he has raised the question over and over, what is God like? But unlike me as a teacher, if I ask my class a question or I ask you a question, the proper thing to do is to stop and to wait for you to think through what is the answer to the question. But a bad teacher won't wait. A bad teacher will, uh, I shouldn't say bad, a uh, improperly trained teacher will not wait. Satan tries to answer his own question for us. God is an abuser. God answers with, no, I am love. 
And so goes the great controversy. Once you answer that question for yourself, what is God like? You probably have decided your destiny, your fate. After all, who would want to spend time, spend eternity with an abuser? Or who wouldn't want to spend eternity with their best friend, the person they love the most? But sometimes it's hard to tell who's uh, doing what to us. Did that flat tire that made me, made me miss my plane come from God? Or did it come from Satan? Why did my wife die so young? Why did I lose my job? Why did God have the Israelites kill all the men, women, and children in Jericho? Why were Sabbath breakers put to death in the Old Testament? Why does Jesus, who showed us what true love is, claim to be the one that gave those orders to the Israelites during the Exodus? What is God like? If you were a parent, or have been a parent, or a teacher, you begin to understand a slap on the hand will keep a baby from touching a hot stove. But a slap on the hand will have a negative effect on a teenager. Taking the car keys from your teenager for speeding might work. But you don't take your car keys, the car keys from your spouse if they speed. Your explanation of adultery or sodomy will be much different for your five-year-old than it will be for your 15-year-old. These help us understand where God is coming from and what God is like. God faced these issues when he was raising Israel. A nation of slaves used to a firm hand could see nothing wrong with temple prostitutes and often saw the death of the guilty as the best consequence. The Israelites of Jesus' time were too sophisticated to their own way of thinking for a servant king. And the 20th and 21st centuries have created their own special forms of ADHD. We've got the greatest generation. We've got the baby boomers. We've got the moderns and the postmoderns, Generation X, Generation Y, liberals and conservatives, and on and on. But God always starts with us where we are at and takes us on from there. As a teacher, I spend the first week of school testing my kids. Sure, you're a fifth grader, but you still need to take a math test so I can tell if you know everything that a fifth grader needs to know. Or do I need to start you in third grade math, or fourth grade math, or sixth grade math? And God does that too. He starts us where we need to start at. We need to also need to understand God's insistence that man have free will, even to the point of killing yourself or choosing to follow a despot like Hitler or Hussein or Gaddafi. As a consequence of this, it's not always easy to tell how God is working in your life. It is easier to see how God worked in your life when looking back and see in all the th- that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Not in some things, 
But in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We may not always understand, and we may not always like our current situation, but God always works for your good and for those who love him. You never really learn something unless you figure it out for yourself. So God, whose understanding no one can fathom, reaches where we are at, and he uses metaphors. He uses parables to help us understand where we are and where he is coming from. Sometimes God is like a lion. Sometimes God is like a chicken, and he shelters us under his wings. Sometimes God is like a snake hung up on the stick to heal us from our diseases. Sometimes he's like a rock or a king giving a banquet or a priest or a rich man renting a field. Sometimes God is a precious jewel. Sometimes he's a sower of seed. Sometimes he's a lamb. Sometimes he's a father or a mother or the worst grandpa ever. Mom kicked Dad out of the house when I was very little. Dad drank and would get mean. He threw me once when I grabbed his pant leg to keep him from hurting Mom. Grandpa came over and dragged Dad out of the house and threw him in his car and told him that he had to leave. He was not welcome here and that if he did come back, he, Grandpa, would break as many bones as necessary to make him go away again. Grandpa was a scary guy. And I guess Dad was scared of him because he didn't come back. I was scared of Grandpa. He was big. He only shaved twice a week, Tuesdays and Sabbath mornings before he went to church. He had some pretty big scars, but I never found out where they came from. He was really strong and not very gentle. He liked to make me do things that were good for my character, which I figured out was just another way he had of being mean. That night, he became the man in my life. And after watching what he did to dad, I realized that he was the worst grandfather ever, and maybe the worst dad, since he was my dad's dad. I had to stay with him and grandma sometimes when mom was at work. I had to stay with him a lot. So I was around him a lot. He never hurt me, but he was still scary. The first time I spent the night, he came in my room at his house and he told me to shut off the light. I told him I was scared of the dark. He stood there and looked at me and said, I see. And then he shut off the light. I thought he was going to leave me alone in the awful, lonely dark. And I was starting to whimper when I felt him lie down on my bed beside me. He told me how God had created darkness and light and the whole creation story. He told me how there were different kinds of light. Some kinds that cats and others, other animals can see and some kinds that can only be seen with the heart. I fell asleep listening to him, and when I woke up, he was still there, snoring beside me in his clothes. 
Other nights, we would get up and crawl under the bed to see if there were any monsters there. I thought they all ran away because he was much scarier than they were. Later, he took me for a walk in the woods in the dark, and then he shut off the flashlight. I couldn't see anything, but he held my hand and told me to sit down beside him. After a while, I could see a little, and after a little while more, I could see even more. He told me not to talk, and pretty soon we could hear noises. A mouse over there, crickets chirping, an owl staking out territory, deer walking right by us like gray ghosts. He told me about night vision and how it came and went with the darkness. I learned I could see farther and better at night without a light, and that my ears could be my eyes in the dark. After a while, I wasn't scared of the dark, but I was still scared of Grandpa. After all, he was the worst Grandpa ever. Grandpa found out I didn't like the cold. So one winter day, he gave me a small pack, and he took his huge pack, and he made me follow him up into the mountains. After a while, I realized that we weren't going to get back before night, and it was getting cold. So he said we would build a fire. I sat down, shivering to wait for the fire, but he told me to go out and break branches off the spruce trees and the pine trees and bring them back for firewood. That was hard work. And after several trips, I was warm, and the fire hadn't even been lit. My grandpa had also brought in some wood and set up the tent. Then he told me to start a fire. When I couldn't, he showed me how to make a dry platform on the snowy ground and how to shave little slivers of wood for starter and to put small branches on the fire first. After that, he would only give me three matches whenever we went camping. He also taught me how to stay dry and warm and, out of, and keep snow out of the tent when getting ready for bed. I thought we should shut all the tent doors to be safe, but he made me leave them open so that our breath wouldn't make icicles on the ceiling of the tent. We slept warm and dry, but I knew I was safe because Grandpa was the scariest thing in the forest. We camped in the summer one time with Grandma, and it was hot. When Grandpa and Grandma went in the lake at night, I wouldn't go because the water was dark and scary. The next day, Grandpa took me out in the boat and gave me a mask and made me get out of the boat in that dark green water. I could barely catch my breath at first, I was so scared. And I knew he was still the worst Grandpa ever. Finally, I looked down with the mask and I saw fish, little fish. And a log. The log was kind of scary. But no monsters, and even though I kept spinning around and to see if they were swimming up behind me, well, at least I didn't have to swim in the weeds. But somehow Grandpa figured out I was scared of the weeds, and he made me get out of the boat in the weeds. So it was no surprise. Yeah, I thought they would strangle me, but they just stood there. I tried to get myself tangled up in them so that maybe Grandpa would rescue me and let me back in the boat, but they were too slippery. There were lots of little fish in the weeds and a turtle swimming around in them, and that was pretty cool. 
Later we read about what creatures live in the lake. Not too scary. The church started playing uh, inner church softball games in the evenings. And Grandpa made me go, even though I told him I thought the pitcher would hit me with the ball. I shut my eyes whenever the ball came at me, and I even got hit once. It hurt. Two days later, Grandpa got a playground ball, and we started playing a type of dodgeball. It didn't hurt very much if he got hit by that. He made me try to dodge it with my eyes shut. Didn't work very well. He had me try and see how long I could wait before dodging it. That was kind of fun. He started throwing it faster and faster. And I knew he was waiting for a chance to be scary again. But I got so I could dodge about anything he threw. Grandpa took me back to the softball games again and a couple weeks later, and I wasn't scared of the ball anymore. I never did get very good at softball, but Grandpa said it was good for my character to try. I think it was just a clever way of being mean. I told him I, when I was in first grade, I told him I didn't like school because I couldn't read. Grandpa lied, I think, and said he didn't read very well in school either, but that books were good for your character, especially the Bible, and I needed at least to listen. Great, I thought, more torture. Grandpa read me stories every day, stories from the Bible, The Cat in the Hat, Dr. DeSoto, Go Dog Go. We read them so many times, I could read them myself, though I pretended I didn't want to, and wouldn't read unless the mean old guy made me. Even so, between the worst grandfather ever and a strict old teacher, I got better at reading. And then he read me two chapters out of a book called A Day No Pigs Would Die. It was really good. I waited here for him to read the next chapters, but he was too busy for two days, so I read it myself. After all, he was the worst grandfather ever, and he probably wouldn't even remember to finish the book with me. I got older. I got a car. One day, I went to Grandpa and Grandma's for lunch. I helped Grandma with lunch while Grandpa did some chores outside. And when I came out after lunch, I had a flat tire. Grandpa suggested we look in the trunk. And we found a tire. I didn't even know it was there. Then I had to figure out how to use the lug wrench and the jack, safely jack up the car. After I'd changed the tire, Grandpa tried filling the bad tire, and it held the air. So then to make it interesting, we tried to figure out the quickest way to change it back, and the two of us changed the tire in four minutes and 28 seconds. I can still do it that fast. After that, I started to leave, and my car wouldn't start. Seems I had left the lights on, though I'd driven over in the daylight. So I had to figure out how to use jumper cables. Grandpa acted like he'd never seen them before. One time, I complained to Grandpa that my car wasn't very cool. Some kids had Hummers or sports cars. I had pimples. I wasn't as strong as I wanted to be, and life wasn't fun. All the other kids got to do other things that I would never get a chance to do. In short, I deserved better. 
Grandpa just agreed with me and, and said that maybe he could help. So he taught me to bake bread. Boring. It was just the kind of thing that the worst grandpa in the world would make a depressed teenage boy do. We baked rye bread. We baked whole wheat bread. We baked dinner rolls. We baked cheese bread. We baked all day and part of the next morning and only eating one dinner roll and cooling and bagging the rest. Then Grandpa took me in his old truck and all our bread to a patch of woods just off the highway. We carried the bread behind a group of trees and there was one of the scariest places I'd ever seen. It was some kind of homeless camp. And about 20 of the scariest looking guys and 10 really scary looking women all scowling. Then one said, oh, hi, Ted. Who's a kid? Grandpa told him I was his grandson and that we'd been doing some baking and had a few things left over we couldn't fit in our freezer. That got their attention, and soon all the bread was gone and most of it being eaten as we stood there. Some of them had met Grandpa before. We listened to a few stories, and I noticed that one guy had just some cardboard and newspapers for a bed and blankets. Later I confessed to Grandpa that I'd, I'd had a pretty good time that morning and that I was doing fine. But the people in that camp, you know what, they deserve better. Grandpa just nodded and said, yeah, he supposed so. I stopped by a day later with an old sleeping bag of mine and some cheese and gave it to the guy with the cardboard bed. They all seemed glad to see me, and they didn't look so scary this time, and even scary the next, even less scary the next time I went. I told Grandpa that my science teacher at Academy was a dork, and that my Bible teacher was the most boring woman on the face of the earth with absolutely nothing important to say. Well, for once, I thought, Grandpa finally did something nice for me. He went in and he had a loud talk in private with my mom, and then he drove me right down to the academy. And he took me in and he withdrew me from the last two hours of school and had my Bible class changed to study hall. Then he took me to the public high school and enrolled me in the last period biology class. Woohoo, I thought, a real high school class for a change. Turns out it wasn't any harder or easier than most of my classes in academy. Except that the biology teacher taught biology from an evolutionary standpoint. And he openly made fun of fundies, his word for fundamentalist Christians, and cretins, his word for, fundam for Christians in general, and idiots, intelligent design proponents. I tried to keep a low profile for a while, but I felt uncomfortable and dishonest. One of my new classmates tried to defend creation theory one day, and the biology teacher made him look like an uninformed simpleton. The next day during study hall, I asked my science teacher, former science teacher at Academy, And I talked to my Bible teacher, and she really had some good points. And the science teacher told me about some inconsistencies in the theory of evolution. 
When I asked my new biology teacher about them, he tried to explain them away, but some other students saw holes in his arguments and asked more questions. He get, was getting frustrated and he almost got angry. I kept returning to my discussions with my old Bible teacher and science teacher for their views. I finally even asked if I could get back in Bible class. A couple of students at the public high school thanked me after class a couple times for speaking up against evolution as a fact. And I found out a few years later that some of the biology teachers at public school were really Christians, but were forbidden from talking about anything but evolution. I wasn't sure if God was really real. Sometimes it seemed like a myth or another story. I asked Grandpa how he knew that God was real, and he said, God told him. When I told Grandpa that I didn't believe him, now that took real courage. He looked at me very seriously and asked if I really wanted to know if God existed or cared about me. I said, yes, in a kind of a half-interested uh, way. And then he told me if I really wanted to know that, that I should ask God himself. But that I should know that if I asked God to prove to me that he was real, that it was the most serious question in the world. And I shouldn't ask unless I really wanted to know. I thought about that for a long time. But a year, a year later, I did ask God if he was really there. And could he please give me some proof? The next day, Dad came home. He told Mom that he had told himself that he wouldn't see her or me until he had not had a drink for five years. And today was his five-year anniversary. It got to be pretty crazy and happy reunion, especially when Grandpa and Grandma came over. Grandpa seemed to know that Dad was coming home. And he and Dad acted like they had uh, worked this out in some secret way, but they only shrugged when any of the rest of us asked about it. I stayed at Grandpa that night to give Mom and Dad some time alone. Mom wasn't sure then that if she was going to take Dad back or not. And when I went down on my knees that night to pray and give thanks, I cried for quite a while. But it was okay because I could feel Jesus' arms around me and the smile on the Father's face. I could hear Grandpa crying in the next room. I slept on the floor beside Grandpa and Grandma's bed to keep them company. When I have kids and grandkids, I'm going to try to be as bad a grandfather as he was. Where are you in that story? God sometimes puts us in tough places. 
Today he might be your mother, your rock, a lamb, a consuming fire, or the worst grandpa ever. But he's always there with us. He never quits pursuing you. And in all things, he always works for your good. What do you think God is like? Our closing hymn is... I love to tell the story, number 457.